Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you here on this beautiful rainy day. I still maintain what I said two years ago. Have you people not heard of a little season we like to call fall? It seems to just go from summer to winter, back again. And if you blink, you miss summer, but so be it. How awesome was it this morning to look on stage during worship and to see a face that some of you didn't know who that was, and many of you went, oh, so good to see Julie back on stage. Julie, it's so good to have you with us. And uh, I know many of you have been able to catch up with her. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Julie has history with us as a church, a family here. Her husband, Andrew, was an associate pastor here at White Rock Baptist Church. And I know for many of us as a church, we have a deep love for their family. Uh, Andrew is currently doing his doctorate in Oxford. And this summer, he decided it might be a little more prudent to send his family so that he can stay and do some work. And I hope he has been staying. Well, I know he stayed, but I hope he has been doing some work. And uh, Julie, please send our love and regards back to Andrew when you go back this week as well. So I know that I've mentioned it once or twice uh, from the stage. I've spoken about my schooling. And I realize that for many of you, it's not just that my school was in a different country some 17,000 kilometers away. Uh, when I get into conversation, for a lot of people, it feels like my school wasn't just far off kind of physically, it was just far off in all sorts of ways. Uh, you know, I grew up in or went into a school that was a bit like a private school. We had our uniforms. Uh, it was colonial in its history uh, and the way things happened within the school. It wasn't until I got into high school that corporal punishment stopped. So, you know, we routinely got hidings from our teachers. Um, I had a really gracious woodshop teacher who made a, a paddle, which on one side he put carpet. So if you weren't that naughty, but you still needed to get a hiding, he would give you the carpeted side. You know, so we had some, some really good teachers. But in school, I, I had a class called PT. Now, I know you're going, oh, okay, PT, physical training, that's a little bit like our gym. No, 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 no. You see, we didn't call it physical training. We called it physical torture. So we had PT class, and nobody liked PT class. Going to an all-boys, borderline colonial school meant that there was no excuse to avoid PT. In fact, and I know you're going to say this is just abuse and thank thankfully times have changed. If you got to PT and you did not have your PT kit, little blue navy shorts and a vest, you did it in your underwear. It was that simple. And I have vivid memories of watching some of my friends do PT in their underwear, which I'll get back to in a moment. PT for us was hard work. The school had measurements that they would measure, and so every few months, we would have to do a string of tests. We would have to do these push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups. We would have to run certain distances. Uh, we, you know, we'd have to kind of measure according to the whole class and to the, actually the country. They were kind of keeping track of how we were doing. I look back at PT, and aside from the one or two terrible moments, I realize it was doing something for me. 
You see, I went to a school which was a premier rugby playing school. Rugby was a big part of what we did. In fact, what most schools in South Africa do. So even during PT, we would play a game called Red Rover. Anybody know Red Rover? Okay, I see a couple of hands going over. Now, it's a great game, except when you're playing with 24 classmates who are all trying to outprove each other that they should be playing for the first rugby team. And so in Red Rover, we would line up and some poor kid would go out in the middle and he would start off and he would say, Red Rover, Red Rover, let Brian come over. And Brian would have to try run from one side of the field to the other side of the field without getting tackled. Which for Brian was very difficult because Brian was one of the bigger and slower kids in school. It was only in high school where my physique changed completely. But actually, I preferred getting called first. Because if I got called near the end, then it wasn't one person trying to tackle you, it was 10, maybe even 20. And it's an all-boys school, so often we would end up on the ground after a tackle, and some friend would shout, Pylon! And everyone would jump on board. And for about 30 seconds, you couldn't breathe because it's very difficult to get your chest moving with 10 friends on top of you while you're lying on the ground. Yeah, I found a, an old photo that I, I kind of got brought out, and, and I think this will help you understand what went through a lot of our minds. Here's the photo of our PD class. There we go. I think you can uh, see that's quite clearly not the photo of my PT class, but that's what it felt like. Warfare in the trenches. But, and you can, you can move on to the next slide there. But, I still maintain, even the negative parts aside, and even though maybe some of it was done just in a terrible way, that particular class was preparing and equipping us for something else. And though it was hard work, and though it was difficult and uncomfortable, and sometimes left us bruised and battered a little bit, it prepared us so that when we got onto the rugby field against our fiercest rivals, we had no fear of being tackled or in turn of tackling. We went at it because we had been prepared for it. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been preaching a series called Reset and looking at the summertime as being a great opportunity, a great time to reset. Uh, you know, hopefully we're not as busy as normal. Hopefully we can unwind a little bit, enjoy the longer evenings, just enjoy some of the summertime, maybe get away for a few days out by a cabin or a lake or up in the mountains, whatever the case might be. And while we're in that place, allow God to reset us. And as we slowly wind down on that, and as we slowly work towards the end, today I want to ask the question, how then should I live? Because if I've reset all these different little areas, and if I've allowed the Holy Spirit to reset my mind, my heart, my relationships, and all manner of places, my finances, everything else, well, how then do I go into the fall? And how do I live as we did that, I, I struggled with what I should say. You know, we've had previously reset finances or reset relationships. Today, it's reset holiness. But that's not really catchy, is it? Kind of holiness sounds a little scary. It sounds a little too, well, 
holy. And we look at ourselves and we go, oh, uh, that's not me. That might be you up there, Mr. Preacher Guy, but that's not me. And that's only because you don't know me. And that's why I think the question is, how should I live? Now, last week I preached from 1 Peter chapter 2, and I encouraged you to spend some time meditating. And I know you did that. I know you spent a little bit of time in 1 Peter chapter 2 last week. And as you did that, you realized, wait a minute, there's a bit of a context here. 1 Peter chapter 2 follows 1 Peter chapter 1. And I know you've spent a little bit of time reading through 1 Peter chapter 1 as you meditated on 1 Peter chapter 2. And there is so much richness in there that I thought we have to stay there. Even though uh, the scripture uses the word holy and holiness, uh, sometimes we struggle with that word. But in principle, holiness is seen in that picture right there. Filling a glass of water from a tap. When you do that, you expect holiness. In fact, you expect holiness when you order a meal at a restaurant. You expect holiness when it's been raining and it's muddy and people come over or your children come in. You expect them to kick their shoes off before they come into the house. You see, the common thread between all of that is you expect cleanliness for health and for safety and for comfort. This is what holiness is. It's something being kept clean for use and for health. I was shocked to discover that in the 1860s, along the the riverbanks of St. Petersburg, where the Neva River flows, uh, scientists recommended that the water supply that came into St. Petersburg be moved. And the reason they suggested that it be moved is because just a few hundred yards upstream from where the water is taken, there was a sewerage outlet. And so the sewerage would flow out into the river, and just a little bit downstream, it would flow into the drinking water supply. You know what blows me away is 130 years later, environmentalists realized it had never been done. And locals were boiling water and sifting water in order to have healthy water. Because if they didn't, they would get diarrhea, stomach cramps, and nausea. Holiness is like clean water that has been set aside for use. Set aside for our use. At its most basic level, holy simply refers set apart, separated from others, different It's a word whose highest meaning is found in referring to God. And then the objects that God sets apart for his own use and his own service. A word we don't often use is saint. And we kind of think that's something different. For many of us, a saint is someone else, probably somebody from history. Somebody that did something really amazing and really saintly. And so we give them that title. Brothers and sisters... If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you are a saint. That is what the scriptures call you. Whether you feel that, whether you think that, that is what you are. We are holy saints set apart for God. We are his children. We are distinct from those who do not believe. And therefore, holiness is what God wants from us and expects from us. So, much like my PT class, training for something else, how do we train for holiness? How do we live 
Indeed, how shall I live? If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, there's so much in there, I'm not going to read the entire first and second chapter of 1 Peter. I just want to look at a couple of verses as we track through it. I will have them up on the screen behind me. We will be able to read through some of them. But if you have your Bible, or maybe you want to grab a pew Bible so that you can kind of see it in context. How do we train for holiness? How do we walk towards? How do we run towards? What are the steps we need to take? Peter spells it out for us. The very first step is to turn away from the sins of our past. Listen to what Peter says in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 1. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Peter says, with minds that are alert. In fact, the the older versions and the King James Version use words like, gird up the loins of your mind. It's not a phrase we kind of easily resonate with. We don't hear much of it nowadays. But the image, that gird up your loins image, was a reminder for for the Israelites and and the, the ancient East culture who wore long flowing robes. If you were about to do something physical, hard work, or if you were going to run or if you needed to go, you needed to pull up all those loose robes and tuck them into your belt so that they didn't trip you up as you ran. We might kind of say, okay, roll up your sleeves and get ready for action. But the the picture is the same. Whatever is tripping you up, whatever is in the way, get rid of it. This is what the writer to Hebrews echoes in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What is that sin that might be hanging around you that is tripping you up? What are those habits? What are those activities you find yourself routinely going back to that you know are tripping you? That you know this is sin. This is not what I'm called to do and practice as a child of God. Peter says, get rid of that. Cast it aside with minds that are alert. Turn away from it. If it means set practical boundaries in place in your life so that you don't keep tripping up, then that's what needs to happen with minds that are alert. Peter goes on, and fully sober. Peter doesn't, he's not talking about drunkenness per se. He's not merely saying don't be drunk. He's using sobriety as a metaphor. What Peter is saying is exercise self-control. We all know that a drunk person cannot think straight. Nor for that matter can somebody who's high on marijuana or smoking weed. I have to share this just because it was so kind of, whoa. I went for a run this past Tuesday. And uh, I was running through the ravine just behind Centennial. I know many of you know it. It's just, it's a beautiful ravine. If you've never been down or you haven't been there recently, it's fantastic. 
One of the things that I love about that ravine is it's actually kind of two ravines that run next to each other. And there are a whole number of staircases that kind of go over and kind of all the way. So our running club has given a whole lot of them names so that we know when our coach says, okay, you need to go down the main vein and turn up Greg's Corner and then go down Center Court and back down Heartbreak Hill and then up along main vein again and then up, pull up. We kind of know the route we've got to go. So on Tuesday, I'm running back down one of the sections and I can... I'm hit with that overwhelming smell of weed. And we, let's be honest here, we're Canadians, we know what weed smells like in White Rock, okay, because we've all smelt it. And so I can smell this. And I realize just up ahead of me is a lady sitting on a bench with her little joint, having a little puff. And of course, being the good-natured, humorous kind of person who has the deformity of my father's sense of humor, as I'm running over towards her, I say to her, hey, this isn't fair. I'm running and you're flying. <laughs> and I cannot, I cannot properly imitate the way she looked at me with that. <laughs> and, and I just kept running. And I realized at that point, she is in another place altogether. I pass no judgment on her, but it's the picture that Peter gives here. Be sober-minded. Do not allow anything to cloud your thinking, to cloud your judgment, to cloud your mind. Be self-controlled and be rational. And then Peter builds on that. Turn away from the sins of your past, rather hope on the grace that is coming. What are we to hope for? Grace in Jesus Christ. Peter puts all the glorious content of our salvation previously given in the first 12 verses, by the way. Set your hope on the grace of Jesus Christ. We here at White Rock Baptist Church, you've heard our purpose statement. We seek to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ. Worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world. It starts in hope in Jesus Christ. Because apart from Christ, there is no hope. And so Peter says, turn away from the sins of your past. Focus on Christ. So that's the first step, turn away. The second step that Peter gives in the next two verses is look to God. Follow along with me in verse 15 onwards. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. You see, when I look to God, I'm reminded of my own sin. Jennifer alluded to that in her prayer just before I came up, and, and that was kind of the Holy Spirit right there. Isaiah had that same thought. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees God, and he sees the angels and the seraphim, and they're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he realizes how sinful he is as he looks to God, and, and he literally says, I am speechless. I am speechless in front of this holy God. He goes on to say, I am dead. You see, Peter recognized he was unclean. And as he looked to God, he was struck. 
In fact, sorry, Isaiah did that. But I could talk about Peter in the same sense because when Jesus tells Peter to cast out the net and Peter goes, well, you know, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything, but okay, because you said, I'll do it. And he casts the net out of the boat and they bring in this huge haul of fish that Peter and his crew can't bring in and they have to call others to come and help. What does Peter do? He says to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He understands who he is when he looks to Christ. And so here Peter says, not only do we turn from our sin, but now we need to look to God. Because when we look at God, it shows us what we really are. But it also shows us what we should be and how we should live. You know, I'm well aware that no one likes to look at themselves on TV. If you've ever seen yourself on TV, it's just, no, thank you. That's not me. That's somebody else. You know, I do not enjoy watching myself preach. I, I become aware of little habits, little things that might be causing distractions to you. I, I was, it was pointed out to me a little while ago, and I kind of had to watch a video that I had a particular hand gesture that I was using. I'm not doing it now because then you'll all know. But somebody says to me, Brian, you remind me of a certain leading politician just south of our border when you do that particular hand gesture. <laughs> and I realized, isn't that crazy? That little gesture is what the person notices in the midst of my preaching. And so I have to now and again watch myself on TV so that I can learn. Because I know what I should look like. I know what I should be doing. And this is why Peter says, look to Christ, look to the Lord. Because not only do you get a glimpse of your own sinfulness, you also get a glimpse of what you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be in Christ. Turn away from sin, look to God. Peter goes on the third step as we journey towards holiness. Consider the cost of your redemption. 1 Peter chapter 1, reading from verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. What does Peter mean when he says consider the cost of your redemption? Well, Peter says the cost is not with silver and gold, not with perishable things. Money can only purchase things that are corruptible as itself. Money cannot compensate for broken vows. Money cannot compensate for broken hearts, for cruel words that eat into us. Money cannot bring back color into the cheeks of a loved one who has passed away. Money is corruptible. And so Peter says, consider the cost of your redemption. What was it purchased with? With the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It was gracious. It was the innocent for the guilty. Peter says it was a lamb without blemish or defect, for that is who Jesus was. Peter says it was determined. Notice that in verse 20, chosen before the creation of the world. 
And it makes us God's possessions. This grace received through the blood of Jesus purchases, purchases us for God. So turn away from the sins of our past. Look to God. Consider the cost of our redemption. And then the fourth step Peter builds into this. Recognize the importance of God's word. Recognize the need and the importance of God's word in our lives. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Just in those few verses, as Peter says, understand, recognize the importance of God's word. Recognize it because it purifies us. And it purifies us when we obey it and when we put it into practice. The psalmist asks in Psalm 119 verse 9, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word and following it. You see, we obey it because it purifies us. It produces love. And Peter keeps talking about love for one another from the heart, this deep love. And the love that Peter spells out is a love of service. It's ministry. It's not just a warm, gushy feeling just because I'm in that place right there. It's service. I might not want to, but I know I have to. Love is the outcome of holiness. Recognize the importance of God's word by obeying it, by appreciating it, by desiring it. And some of us may have forgotten what it's like to have a, an infant or a baby in the house. I know some of you have become grandparents again and you're being reminded of that. You know, a baby will let you know when it's hungry. A child will not rest or settle until they're hungry. And if I think about it, it's not just babies, because my son is 10, and he will still tell me if he's hungry, and he is not happy when he's hungry. And so Peter says, like newborn babies, do not settle. Crave that pure milk. Crave the word of God. Cry out for it. Do not settle until you get it. Recognize the importance of God's word. And then the last and final step as we walk towards holiness, realize who you are. I'm going to jump ahead to 2 Peter chapter 9, uh, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 12. We read a portion of this last week, and so I'm not going to re-preach it, but I want to touch on one or two things. Peter says, realize who you are. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had, received, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war for your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I touched on this last week, so I don't need to re-preach the whole thing, but very briefly, Peter says, recognize who you are. This is who you are in Christ. Therefore, live this way. You are a chosen generation, a new race, a new people. Yes, together as we gather as White Rock Baptist Church, we might look a little different to each other. We might have some external differences. But in Christ, we are a chosen nation together, a new people group, for want of a better word. We're a royal priesthood. Those who minister and worship and serve. We're a holy nation set apart for the purpose of God. We're a peculiar people, in fact. We're strangers and aliens. Live as foreigners and exiles. Don't get comfortable. Don't decide this is home, this is everything there is, and so I'm just going to make the most of my here and now. No. Live as a foreigner. Live as an exile. Live as a pilgrim journeying through. And what do we do? We live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse us of wrong, they see our good deeds and glorify our God on the day he visits us. God has set us apart. God has called us holy that we might live for him. As I conclude, how then shall I live? Turn away from the sins of our past. Look to God. Consider the cost of my own redemption. Recognize the importance of God's word. Realize who I am. And then live a holy life. Because God who is holy calls us. He calls you. And he calls me to be holy. Let's pray together. Father, as we read your word, as we read your instruction to be holy because you are holy. Lord, we struggle. We struggle because we know that, that we, we can't get all the way. And so sometimes we give up. God, in the midst of that place, help us by your spirit to continue in that journey to become ever more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, to pursue holiness. And Father, as we pursue holiness, prevent, don't let it happen that we fall into that trap of legalism, thinking that holiness is a bunch of laws and do this, don't do that. But rather, God, that holiness is a heart set, set apart for you called by you, living in worship and service of you. And Father, as we live holy lives, may that witness and may that testimony shine. And even though the world around us might accuse us, God, may they find no reason for accusation. And may that accusation be turned around to praise to you as they glorify you when you return. By your spirit, help us. For we ask this in the name that is above every other name, 
the name indeed that is holy, 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 our King of kings and Lord of lords in Jesus Christ. In your name, God, amen.